Welcome to DLA Piper's Better Contracts podcast series. My name is John McKinley, a partner in the commercial contracts team based in the UK at global business law firm, DLA Piper. In today's episode, I am joined by my colleagues, Neil Hui Young, a senior associate in our Hong Kong office, and Christoph de Wilder, a commercial contract partner in our Brussels office. And we are going to explore the topic of direct and indirect damages. So we will be discussing our current view of the law and how it translates into commercial practice across the UK, the major jurisdictions in continental Europe and Asia-Pac. Yeah, so let's start with a quick overview of the topic. If there is a breach of contract, pretty much every legal jurisdiction places some legal limits around which losses can be recovered. And this is to strike the right balance, to allow the party who has suffered the loss to make a reasonable claim for damages, but not to allow them to recover absolutely everything that could conceivably be said to flow from the breach. Yeah, that's right. I think there is a common principle behind all of this. So while a loss might have been, strictly speaking, caused by the breach of the contract, I think there comes a point where the loss is too far removed from what could have been expected. In such cases, I think it's not reasonable for it to be recoverable. The distinction actually is often summed up by talking about direct and indirect losses, hence the name of this podcast. But as we will come on to see later on, the exact meaning of these terms is really open to some debate. And even this terminology itself is not universally used. That's right, Neil. So let me start by looking at things from a UK perspective. So through that lens, loss from a breach of contract cannot be recovered if it's too remote, or in other words, if it's too far removed from the breach itself. Anything else is potentially recoverable on the basis that it is foreseeable. What makes this complicated is that foreseeable loss is itself divided into two categories, which is where the terms direct and indirect loss come from. Those terms have a specific legal meaning, which originates from an old case called Hadley against Baxendale. So if we look at direct loss first, that is the first limb of Hadley against Baxendale. That refers to the natural results of the breach, things that would happen in the usual course of things. So those are usually recoverable as damages. And the reason for that is everyone should expect them to happen. So that can be contrasted with indirect or consequential loss, which comes from the second limb of Hadley against Baxendale. And these are the sorts of losses that aren't to be expected, aren't the natural results, but arise from special circumstances. And the distinction there is that these losses are only recoverable if the parties knew of the special circumstances at the time of contracting. So that that might sound quite complicated. So an example might help illustrate that. So if we think about a typical contract for the sale of goods, if there is a failure to deliver those goods, then something that would be direct loss would be the sort of loss that would happen to anyone in those circumstances. So typically, if there is a failure to deliver, someone would have to buy the goods from elsewhere, and that might well be at a higher price and they would no doubt suffer some administrative and other expenses from sorting all of this out. Now, given all of that would be expected, 
that is foreseeable and it's recoverable as a direct loss. So let's take that example and imagine if those goods were actually being used to manufacture something for a customer and that customer then cancelled a very lucrative long-term contract because of the original failure to deliver the goods. Now that example wouldn't necessarily be expected in every circumstances and it would be an indirect loss and therefore it would only be recoverable if both parties knew about it in advance. So John, to clarify, in, in UK law, you have three categories, right? You have direct loss, you have indirect loss and remote loss. Is it then correct to say that only the first two are recoverable and of these two, it's more difficult to recover indirect loss? Yeah, that's spot on, Christoph. That's the right distinction. So how does that compare to the situation that you see in continental Europe? Well, in most jurisdictions in, in continental Europe, I would say that the direct-indirect loss dichotomy, as it is used under UK law, is not recognized, at least not in exactly the same way. And which losses are eventually recoverable definitely differs between jurisdictions. So when, when we take, for example, Belgium, Germany, France, there's definitely no corresponding domestic distinction between direct and indirect loss. Uh, specifically for Belgium, unless parties decide otherwise, all the damage is recoverable if one, the damage would not have occurred without a contractual fault, and two, the existence of the damage was foreseeable at the contract date uh, with, with specific conditions applying to the foreseeability criterion. So definitely no distinction between direct and indirect as such. More or less similar, we see things in, in France, so all damage is recoverable if if one of the losses immediately and directly result from a breach of contract and two, the loss was foreseeable or could have been foreseen when the contract was concluded. Same in Germany. Uh, German statutory law does not distinguish between direct and indirect and all damage is recoverable if it's, um, yeah, if it's reasonably attributable to the damaging act. And when we look, for example, in Italy, by contrast, it's generally accepted that only direct damages are recoverable. Uh, and those are the damages that are the immediate and direct consequence of the breach of contract. And like in Belgium, France, as I mentioned, they also must have been predictable when the contract was concluded. It also includes loss of profits and loss of a chance. And, and based on case law, damage that is not the immediate and direct consequence of the contract breach, but still causally linked, will also be recoverable. So, Obviously, this is a very high-level overview, but I think it provides a bit of an indication of the differences with UK law, and at the same time, also the, the, the slight differences between the different countries in continental Europe. Right, that's very interesting, Christoph, because I think we're also seeing some of that in the APAC region, because as APAC, as we all know, it really is a combination of common law jurisdictions and non-common law jurisdictions. So on the one hand, you have key common law jurisdictions such as Singapore, Hong Kong, and Australia, and which recognize and adopt the UK common law approach. And on the other hand, you have key non-common law jurisdictions where these common law terminologies of you know direct, indirect, or consequential loss are not exactly prescribed under local law, such as if you take a look at PRC, Japan, and South Korea, for instance. So for the key common law jurisdictions, Hong Kong pretty much follows the UK position very closely and even adopts the, um, the recent Achilles case in the UK where 
the UK courts have adopted this assumed responsibility test to assess what losses the defendant can be, you know, reasonably understood to have assumed responsibility for. Singapore and Australia also kind of follows the UK position, specifically the Hadley and Baxendale position, but Singapore has expressly departed from the Achilles case, while Australia is still unclear on this point. For the key non-common law jurisdictions, Japan and South Korea both do not have indirect direct or consequential loss terminologies in the um, Japanese Civil Code and the Korean Civil Act, but they do have borrowed concepts, uh, which are kind of similar. They're called ordinary losses and special losses. They're similar, but not identical to the concepts of direct and indirect losses under UK common law. In general, special loss here can be compensated where the breaching party had knowledge of or was reasonably able to foresee circumstances that could cause such special loss as at a time of the breach of the contractual obligation. Now for China, there is again no specific definitions for direct or indirect losses, and the basis of recoverability of losses are just that the loss must be a loss that is foreseeable and resulting from the breach of the contract. So really in conclusion, I think what we can observe here is that in general, there is still this underlying concept of foreseeability in a key jurisdictions in APAC, as, as we did see as well, as John mentioned earlier, for the UK and also for some jurisdictions in continental Europe as well. But just that the terminology is used may be different, especially in non-common law jurisdictions, and how the courts may interpret these terminologies can also vary. Yeah, Neil, what you just mentioned is, is definitely also the case in continental Europe. So we have different terminologies and, and varying ways in which courts interpret these ter terminologies. So, so now that we've looked into the definition of direct and indirect loss in, in the different regions, I believe now is probably a good time to see how these losses are treated in typical commercial contracts. Um, John, any views? Yeah, thanks for that, Christoph. Yeah, absolutely. After having discussed the theory, this is where the rubber hits the road and we look at the practical implications of all of this. So if we turn to the UK first, most contracts allow recovery of direct loss and it would only generally be subject to certain financial caps. The focus is on trying to exclude indirect loss, often using words like neither party will be liable to the other for indirect, special or consequential loss. And all of those things are deemed by law to be the same thing. So as I said, the contract normally uh, focuses on indirect loss, but then we go a bit further and place limits also by the type of loss. For example, saying that neither party will be liable for loss of revenue and loss of reputation. Now, the reason for that lies at a pretty important point, which is whether something is direct or indirect is not based on the type of loss. So something like loss of revenue or loss of reputation can be both direct and indirect. As we've mentioned already, it's based on whether it's foreseeable and whether the parties knew about it in the circumstances. And this is often a source of confusion. So you might see people excluding indirect losses and thinking that that automatically covers all loss of profits. But it might not necessarily do that because it won't exclude the direct loss of profits. So this is where careful drafting needs to come in. Neil, what's the approach in Asia on contract drafting to deal with this sort of area? 
Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And I think in terms of contract drafting, given how diverse the laws are are in the APAC region as well, um, I think we are seeing a shift in the APAC region towards a more prescriptive approach where we're seeing more liability clauses drafted in a more specific manner and relying less on how the courts in different APAC jurisdictions might interpret the usual terminologies of direct or indirect losses. This then necessarily means that, uh, well, the clients will need to take more time to figure out what it is exactly they're trying to achieve with a contract and what key losses they are really trying to exclude or include. For example, if a, a client is entering into a contract for cost-saving purposes, the client would approach the liability clause with a view of um, striking out any mention of exclusion of loss of savings rather than rely on courts and APAC to determine whether loss of savings is something that is recoverable or not. How about continental Europe? Mm. Yeah, well, the prescriptive approach that you just mentioned, Niels, it's, it's something that we definitely also see in, in continental Europe. Of course, under, under the influence of international contract, contracts, although the uh, direct and indirect laws does not exist in many jurisdictions under statutory law, these concepts are definitely used and, and quite common in commercial contracts under uh, laws uh, in, in continental Europe. Uh, for, for example, in, in Belgium and France, it's, it's definitely standard practice that parties limit their liability by excluding indirect damage and also by then listing explicitly what is to be considered excluded indirect damage. And then we see these descriptions like loss of profit, savings, uh, revenue, and so on. There is an exception, uh, which is quite, I would say, general in continental Europe, which is that an exclusion will not be allowed in case of willful misconduct, fraud, or, or gross uh, negligence. What we also see in, in Belgium and France is that the exclusion cannot go that far that it actually empties the substance of an essential obligation. Because in those cases, the exclusion, for example, of indirect loss could become unenforceable. So that's definitely also an attention point when, when drafting uh, contracts. Then when we look at Germany, for instance, in, in individually negotiated contracts, the parties can also limit or exclude their liability, including for consequential damage, again, save for willful intent. There is something specific in Germany on general terms and conditions, which we need to take into account, because there the exclusion of consequential damage would be invalid. So, yeah, in short, it's a lot of commonality between the different jurisdictions in continental Europe, but again, at the same time, also slight differences, which make it yeah, absolutely interesting for lawyers. Yes, I definitely agree. Now that we've seen, or rather, now that we've dealt with the contract drafting portions, how do courts tend to treat these terms? Yeah, that's a good question, Neil, because it's obviously one thing to draft the contract, but if the courts have a different view or if the law is chopping and changing, that can make things difficult. I mean, in the UK, the position is relatively stable, I would say. Courts generally understand and accept the distinction between direct and indirect loss, and therefore you can have a pretty high degree of confidence that clause which excludes liability or consequential or indirect loss will be deemed to apply only to damages falling within the second limb of Hadley against Baxendale, i.e. the more unusual losses, which would only be recoverable if the parties know about them at the time of contracting. That said, the one challenge there's been is that that interpretation of what consequential or indirect loss 
means doesn't quite accord with what you might say the, the normal business person might believe these terms would mean. And you can quite often see confusion and that parties understood it to mean something more general, like all loss of profits, as I mentioned earlier. Now, because of that slight uncertainty, and, and also just because it's always good to be as clear as possible, the trend really is towards people listing out the heads of losses which are limited or excluded without actually referencing whether they're direct or indirect. So you would see the losses of profit, losses of anticipated savings, loss of goodwill, et cetera, being the sort of things that would be just excluded, whatever they are. So what do the courts get involved in? Well, actually, the main area the courts get involved in is interpreting clauses which have been drafted inconsistently or in an ambiguous way. And it is amazing how many of them there are, which you know is just another reminder to always carefully read these clauses because you know there, there can be a whole host of interpretations that are perhaps unintended. So that's UK. What about the civil law jurisdictions in Europe, Christoph? Yeah, I will, John, I will definitely keep in mind what you just mentioned from now on and reading a clause on UK law, which I won't because I will ask you to review it. Overall, I would say that in order to make sure that courts allow a contractual party to enforce an exclusion of indirect loss, the parties need to respect the rules, right? So in, in those countries where the con these concepts do not have a particular meaning, parties will need to define what indirect damage is because otherwise a court judge may simply not understand what the intention was of the parties. But, and that's again to the drafting point, at the same time, they need to make sure that the exclusion does not go that far, that the contract is emptied of its substance, or that you would start uh, giving the impression that you tried to limit for willful misconduct, fraud, and so on. So if that is respected, I would say that courts generally tend to be tolerant uh, towards such clauses. Right, and I think what we're seeing in APAC is also that while the courts in Hong Kong and Singapore tend to still stick to the UK Hatley and Baxendale framework under the common law, we are also seeing courts in other APAC jurisdictions such as Australia, Japan, and South Korea, I think move towards an interpretation of the contract as a whole. Again, identifying the, the true intention of the parties um, to give the relevant terminologies their natural and ordinary meaning as well. Great stuff. Thanks. Neil, thanks, Christoph. It's really good to see that comparison between the way the courts look at things. Um, so just to finish things off, I thought it might be useful if we could just each consider some of the common traps or misconceptions that people have. Some of them we might have mentioned already, but just good to wrap that up. So, Christoph, what would you say to people to watch out for? Yeah, good question, because I think we've we've already mentioned some tips and tricks earlier in this podcast, but what I would definitely see as a, as a key takeaway is that, yeah, it's clear that parties should not just rely on clauses that work in one jurisdiction and therefore assume they will also work in their legal system. Uh, we've seen a lot of commonalities between the different civil laws uh, and when you review and amend a limitation of liability clause, Despite the commonalities, it definitely needs to be reviewed, uh, taking into account local law principles, local case law, in order to avoid having a clause which is unenforceable. Yeah, great. And well, as I've mentioned a couple of times already in the UK, I think the main thing is to avoid thinking that loss of profits 
business opportunities, etc., are automatically indirect, it's very easy to make an argument that those are the sort of losses that would be expected to flow from a breach. And that means they're direct and that means they're recoverable. I would also say it's important not to think indirect losses automatically mean not recoverable because as we've already seen, hopefully, if the parties know about it, even an unusual loss can be recovered unless the contract excludes it. Yes, and I think for APAC, it's also quite similar to what Christoph mentioned earlier for Europe, because one of the common pitfalls when parties contract in the APAC region is to automatically assume that the concept of indirect loss is the same across APAC regions. And so they assume there is no need to pay special attention to their liability clauses when contracting here in the APAC region. As we've already discussed earlier, um, APAC is is really a melting pot of different types of laws. So where possible, a party should be more prescriptive in relation to the losses that can or cannot be excluded by a written contract and not just leave it broadly as you know consequential or indirect losses. Because again, like we, we've discussed before, these may mean different things under the laws of different jurisdictions. If really general language needs to be used, I think parties should make sure to take into account the underlying jurisdictions and governing law of the contract and where the contracting parties are. For instance, while there may still be similar concepts of direct or indirect losses in perhaps, say, Japan and Korea, you know, with the ordinary and special losses, there is no such concept in China. So if the contract is governed by uh, Chinese laws, PRC laws, it will need to include language to reflect this. So for example, you might use terminology such as exclude losses that are foreseen or ought to have been foreseen resulting from the breach. Okay, everyone. Well, that wraps this episode up. It's been fascinating to explore the common areas and of course the differences between the jurisdictions and to think a little bit more deeply about what the practical implications of these are when it comes to drafting, negotiating and ultimately interpreting contracts. So I'd just like to say thanks to Neo and Christoph for sharing their insights and to everyone, thanks for listening. Do look out for further episodes in the series and click on subscribe to be the first to know. Thank you and goodbye.